Hello and welcome to episode 275 of the Bad Wolf podcast. I'm Martin and joining me this week I have Chris. Hello. And Sam. Hello. Guys, very happy you could join me again. Yes, it's nice. It's been consecutive, isn't it? Yeah, it this, I think this is the most consistent we've ever been. This is this is what they do when they put a series on that's, you know, connected. I must say, I am enjoying this series more than any other of this era. This series has been phenomenal. It, mm. it really is, as Jodie Whittaker said, was it is a six-hour film. It's just been sublime. And why is it that they're really trying just before they leave? It was the same with Moffat and Capaldi. Yeah. Yeah, their last season was the best. It's like they suddenly thought, "Well, if we're going, we better go out with a bang." Then, so what were you fucking trying beforehand? Then, <laughs> imagine this was her first series. One, it'll be you'd win it over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd have that opening with I don't know. I mean, obviously it would change slightly, but I mean the change in tone and the change in performance as well. It's good to see the Doctor in actual danger again. You've got her quirkiness is there. She's very three dimensional. There's so many different attitudes that you're not quite you got like that sort of mccoy vibe of is he being funny is he being serious or and there's a hint of mystery in the performance as well that's something that just hasn't been there with jody and uh now it's all coming out in this series which is great mm. so before we get into the nitty-gritty of this review guys mm. i've noticed a trend with other podcasters so they start getting their kids on and it's gone down extremely well the kids are really good at reading the feedback etc. Scott on the Who's He podcast is just a great addition to it. And Radio Rassilon, they've used their kits for years. And you know me, guys, I'm one to chase ratings. So I figured I can beat all these guys because my daughter is called Tegan. So who better to be on a Doctor <laughs> Who focused podcast than someone called Tegan Rose? I'm going to call her quickly, if you guys don't mind. And I thought we'd just get a quick overall view on what this nine-year-old girl thinks of Doctor Who. Yeah, go on. Go. Not gonna pick up now, is she? It's about eight o'clock, isn't it? Going to bed soon. Let's just have a phone on it. <laughs> Most kids don't put this devices away. Stop asking me to on your podcast. Oh. <laughs> okay, I guess not then. Brave heart, Tegan. <laughs> Let me just clarify, she isn't named after Doctor Who, she's named after two family members on her mum's side. Well, that's what you said about your son, Chameleon Canine Adrian. <laughs> I've had to explain that about William, so I don't think um, Liz, is up, Liz is up for 13 kids, and no, it is a, it's from the family side. <laughs> then you've got all the fugitive kids as well. Oh, do, you, do you know what annoys me? Is we have to eventually announce a hidden sibling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, and just uh, say, and just surprise them and say, do you want to hear what happened to your older sister? <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, she worked for the division. Well, you have to announce many, many years later that there was one sibling that they forgot, but then get Jonathan Carley in to do his voice. <laughs> I, I like John, but, you know, he's a good friend, but I don't really want him playing one of my kids. <laughs> I don't think he's up for adoption. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we are here today to talk about the latest episode of Doctor Who Flux, Chapter 4, The Village of Angels. Mm. So, Sam, I'll come to you first. What were your initial impressions of this? Just really enjoyed it. We've said it already, and we kind of joked about this ages ago, saying, imagine if the last series they get it right, like they did with Peter Capaldi and uh, 
off that again just our opinions you know a lot of people enjoy, uh, enjoyed series eight and nine and some didn't care for season 10 but it, it felt to me that a lot of people liked season 10 and i think mm. it looks like a lot of people are enjoying this season over the last two I, I'm, and i'd like to say that i i said a long time ago as well that i think the series should have moved away from single story episodes a long time ago i think the whole one-off story on a saturday night thing really by the death during the matt smith era so the idea of it being one long story but it's still being able to entertain on a singular mm. basis which is a hard thing to do but i do feel that was the way the show should have gone and this is exactly how i like it this honestly i prefer this format than i do any other series of the new series i enjoy this better than series one two three and four which you would call the popular era of the new show. Definitely preferred this format, and, I, and I've really liked it. And this is a, was a really exciting chapter. I think they're known as chapters, each one of these. So yeah, this was a really exciting one. There's something about the new series being set in the 60s, which I think is always really fascinating. And this one was no exception. Very scary as well. Mm. A lot of good jump scares, good characters. And that's been the real improvement in this series, is the way that the characters jump off the page or actually yeah. jump out of you. They've been very, in the past, two-dimensional. I mean, really struggled to think of any characters from series 11 and 12 that stuck out. I mean, I know of them because they're real people. You know, you've got Rosa Parks, you've got Tesla, you know, you've got you've got these people and they were they were fine, but they were real historical figures. But this series, it's you've got so many more characters that you're gonna remember. Professor Jericho in this series was in this episode was great. Yeah. And you've really got him. You understood that this guy was a World War One veteran and he was passionate about not he wasn't the fact he wasn't that taken back by something paranormal is because probably what he saw in the war was so much more hideous than people could ever imagine. This wasn't a big thing to him. It's just excellent character building and same with the regular cast as well. For me, it's just it's another tick, you know, for all the boxes. Really enjoyed it. I was on the edge of my seat. A lot of it, it was genuinely scary and without a doubt the best outing for the Angels since Blunt. Can't wait for next week. Chris, what about you? Yeah, pretty much echoing exactly that. I I didn't watch it live, so few figures are, are fucked. I'm I'm sorry, guys. I, I I did it. I killed the show, and and it's more to the tedious debate of viewing figures. I watched it as soon as I got in, and it was just gripping from start to finish. It was the most haunted way of doing the angels that we've had since Blink. Just the, the way it was shot, little things like you just cut to the doors burst open, the lights swinging. The thing I've I found with the Weeping Angels before was the more we kept just seeing them the more they sort of lessened well i suppose they the more they got worse i suppose they got cheaper they less scary they had less of an impact time of angels continued that momentum a bit from blink but then you had the episode following where they moved and it took it just took something away from from the fear that that's what they're like when they move i was expecting some some creature that you just wouldn't could not describe that just forms, you know, the moment you, they then turn, they're back to stone with that grimace, that face and so on. And this, it was just so cleverly shot. And The Weeping Angels is definitely one of the most in, uh, intelligent designs and of, of a Doctor Who villain in its history, just from the fact that it is a statue. But yeah, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it on the edge of my seat going, where, where the hell is this going? And when it got to the end, I didn't think it was the end. 
I thought it, it, it didn't quite build to a climax as such. It just ended with the cliffhanger rivaling every cliffhanger, I think, in uh, in the past. You know, it, I think it topped Stolen Earth for me in a sort of sense. Uh, I just turned to Liz, who was sat next to me, and went, fuck, what the, what's going to happen? I can't see any way out of this. It's, it's insane. It was just such a, a brilliantly executed script. Although I'm not quite keen on the plot with Belle, trying to get Lavinda, it was nice to see that to just calm down a bit before it went back to the, mm. to the, the fear again. <laughs> cutting, to, cutting to someone, I'm going to find you and your unborn child is waiting for you. I love you. That sort of stuff. I, I thought it was pretty pants. I don't like that sort of bit, but it was nice to have a nice breather. <laughs> when it got to that ending, it was gobsmacking. Absolutely superb. Like you said, so it ticks every box this series. To me, not one of these has been a letdown as such. I know Martin would disagree with the first episode there. Mm. I just found that each episode, I've been wanting to watch the next one. I can't believe how they're knocking this out of the park. I think they've done fantastic work with Flux. And yeah, I'm, I'm just glad it's giving Jodie a big, powerful send-off because her performance in this episode alone was more the Doctor than I'd seen in the previous ones. Can't praise it enough. Well, Chris, don't worry about the viewing figure because this is the first episode I've been able to watch on broadcast. Oh, really? So it'll balance out. Yeah, so you just took my iPlayer view from later on and I took your, <laughs> your live broadcast, so it should Excellent. all balance out. Excellent. We've long spoken on this podcast that when you look at Eccleston or Tennant or Smith or Capaldi, you can pick one episode that is the defining episode of their era. Yeah. And we've long talked about how Jodie Whittaker doesn't have that yet. This was that episode for me. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. Chibnall co-wrote this with... Maxine Auditon, who wrote last year's The Haunting of uh, Villa Diodati, uh, which was okay. like the Frankenstein one with, with the Cyberman, which I think was my favorite of series 12. Yeah, and I've I just kind of noticed this trend with Chibnall. His best episodes are always the ones he's got a co-writer on. Well, I think it's, it's his way of steering it, isn't it, to, the, to the, where it was going. It's like uh, in, I can't, what series was it? Was it when Moffat jumped on a few of them? And Kurt was put down as co-writer. Yeah, about series eight, I think. Yeah, that sort of thing. Purely just, it, it probably helped to guide it to what they were planning to do. The thing that shocked me the most was, like, you know the Sontaran episode? It ended something, like a sub-story, before going continuing on with the next. This one didn't. This whole story was a setup, which was a really good twist because no one saw it was going to lead on to anything else. If you were to describe this series like the trait, like that little announcement Jody did with, we got John Bishop and Mandip Gill and, sorry, is it Dill or Gill? I can't remember. Gill. Gill. Mandip Gill in the back. And they're both, and she's there saying, the flux is coming. It's bringing with it the Santarans, the Weeping Angels, and, uh, I can't remember, Cybermen or whatever. If you that bit alone just made you sort of go, all right, okay. So it's a bit of a bit of a wank fest then. Okay. But no monster in this really has, apart from maybe a bit of a cameo of the Cybermen and Dalek in the last one, but they still fit in for a purpose. Like I've not felt in any way that none of none of the characters that are in this are just there for the sake of it. And I, I just think that's the win because it's so easy for them to just throw every monster into the mix. Like the Weeping Angels, the, the twist we found out was that they are often used by the Division as agents to extract people from time and space. I can't get over how well thought out this series is. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and how great was Kevin McNally in this? Superb. 
Superb. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, obviously we haven't seen the next episode yet, so we don't know what happens to his character. But if they were to announce that they were making the Professor Jericho series, I would watch. 100% I would watch him in the 60s solving strange goings-on. Well, I would watch that more than I would his character from The Twin Dilemma. Yeah, this is his third appearance in Doctor Who, right? I thought it was second. Second. Okay, I thought he was in Macro Terra. Maybe I'm mistaken. Oh, God, that's going back. If oh, let's have a look. Let's have a look, shall we? <laughs> oh, no, no, he'd be too young to have been in that. Yeah, I thought so. He's pretty young in Twin Dilemma, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's only about 65 now, so he's probably, yeah. The last thing I, he was in uh, Doctor Who, wise, otherwise you could count as a third one, is the Dalek Universe set by Big Finish. Oh, okay. That's maybe where I got confused. He plays uh, Anya Kingdom's father. Yeah, he was in the Pirates movies, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was brilliant, and I loved the way that whenever he mentions being in the military, like he stands up straight and to attention, mm. and that he's just a curious mind, and he wants to put the mind probe on the Doctor and stuff and see what happens mm. when she goes into Claire's mind. I like that we learned more about Claire, finally. I mean, that was a yes. big mystery. I just loved it. I, this was classic Doctor Who to me. This is a base yeah. under siege, yeah. and it was a mashup of different genres, like horror and fantasy and sci-fi and a police detective procedural i just loved it that and ends with a bigger twist that just launches the next episode yeah it's just it's just excellent the way that craft how they've done this is great i suppose people did worry when they announced it was going to be one whole story because it would you'd feel oh they're dragging this out Mm. but they've found a way to make a cliffhanger at every episode and it just works just works one thing they did in this episode that's very hard to do is they've brought back an old enemy which has become a little bit overexposed over the years and reintroduced them in a really nice way and put a new twist on them which is something very hard to do it's something that um they did obviously with for example in the in the 70s with genesis of the daleks Mm. people were getting a little bit bored of the daleks by the 70s they just kept popping up doing the same thing so they they thought right we'll do something different we'll bring them back we'll put them in a good story obviously genesis of the dalek one of the most popular stories of all time and we'll put something new in they gave them obviously a backstory so they did something there and I think it's really kind of difficult to do that and they did it really well here with the the angels so first of all they brought them back and made them a threat again they weren't just turning up randomly and doing the quick oh don't blink and then they move and grab you or you know whatever they were genuinely a threat they were genuinely you know making villages disappear but also they did give them you know obviously that different backstory they're used by the division and they were hosting themselves or one of them was hosting themselves in Claire. So it was something new that we hadn't seen the Angels do before, but it was he was done so well. So I think that this is kind of their this is the Angels Genesis of the Daleks moment. And they you know, because the Angels when we saw them in Blink were, were terrifying. And then when we saw them again, obviously they were they were good, you know, they were good when the first Matt Matt Smith story. Then they'd just be put in for jump scares. They'd just rock up here, rock up there. There's yeah. one in the prison. There's one, you know. They, then they all kind of by the time they turned up, it was like, oh yeah, there they are. Okay, cool. Whereas this time they was like, okay, yeah, well we know this is we know this is happening, and they're they're a genuinely genuine threat. You know, them attacking the house was a really spooky oh, thing. Oh god, yeah. And then the, in the basement, it jumping out of the television again. Any kids watching that would be would be terrified. I mean, I think this will be a kind of episode people will revisit on Halloween. It's a shame in the way it wasn't Halloween. This this didn't happen at Halloween because it would have been such a good Halloween episode. I always felt what was underused with the angels was them sending them back in time. We only ever really saw it in Blink, where they went back in time. The Amy and Rory thing was just 
ridiculous shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw him when he was old, and we'd seen that done so many times during their era. An old Amy here, an old Rory there. It, it happened pretty much every other episode. But with the little girl, seeing a little girl, seeing her older self, I mean, that was pretty haunting. Yeah. Yeah, the little girl looking at herself older through the barrier of time was, yeah, that was pretty, pretty freaky. Really, really good. I do wonder, though, one question I will have is how this series has affected the casual audience because I do think there's a genuine, there's a general consensus that the series is bad now. There is a kind of, I think, general feeling that, and I've noticed it a lot, and this isn't just exclusive to this series. I do feel in the last, say, four years or so, kids who watched the David Tennant series are now older. People I know who are kind of like 22, 23, 24, they were kids during the David Tennant era. So to them, this kids show they loved isn't the show that's on now. They weren't Doctor Who fans. They were kids who watched a children's TV show that happened to have David Tennant in it and Billy Piper, etc. In the same way, I suppose, in the 70s, you know, you had kids would watch Tom Baker. When they got older, they weren't keen on the Sylvester McCoy's era so i wonder if it has captured a young audience again but i do think there's a general consensus that the show isn't very good anymore particularly since kind of the last couple of capaldi series when when ratings started to drop so i would be interested to see because i do feel like this is something that a general audience would love this is on on its own this is a really good adventure series i do feel it's it's been very accessible it's got lots of references to the to the older series and and the and, and the new series best hits but i do feel like this is something you could jump on in the first episode and enjoy it all the way through and i wonder whether the bbc have got that across to the audience i think it's a good decision not to call it series 13 and i think that was always going to be an issue once you got sort of series four series five of the show you thought we well, the, the idea of naming i mean you gotta remember the the classic series never named it you know they didn't come for when tom baker's series started they didn't go and uh, next week it's season 12 of your favourite Time Lord with a new doc, they wouldn't work. They'd everyone go, oh, I'm not watching that because I haven't watched the first 11 series. I think the idea of calling this series 11 and 12 and stuff should go out the window. I think this is the good thing to do, calling it Flux. I just wish maybe the BBC had done a little bit more to say, look, this is a good place to jump on. This is a brand new adventure. This is something mm. that you can jump on here because I, I honestly think you could pluck this out of the air. The issue I have to counter that is I do find there's a lot of emphasis on what was explained in the timeless children. Oh, yeah, that's true. The whole division thing is interesting, of course, but it, there is that sort of... When Joe Martin appeared in last week's episode they wouldn't uh, have known exactly what the hell was going on i did actually tweet <laughs> i tweeted you know one of those tweets that you should regret tweeting and i'm not talking about a picture of your penis i'm talking about a doctor who opinion and that was that's call me boring but i wish they would just leave the doctor's backstory and just focus on them fighting monsters to which i had other people have a go at me for well we wouldn't have had gallifrey we wouldn't have had the time war we wouldn't have had all this and that and i'm like look just Pack it in, mate. I was just saying. I was just saying. We've had a lot of it lately. It'd be nice to just focus on the future. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, I'm not saying what happened in the past was bad. But the thing is, this series makes me kind of like the idea of the timeless children, which which in a way annoyed me. But mm-hmm. it's more so the series is going on. It's intriguing me more. The one thing to make this one more accessible is they could have explained a bit more what we're talking about. Why? Who was Joe Martin? It wasn't quite clear unless you knew from watching Fugitive of the Doctor uh, sorry Fugitive of the Jadoon 
That's true. Fugitive yeah. of the Doctor sounds like a brilliant title, by the way. But uh, I, I, going with what you said there about the Weeping Angels, I find it always helps when another writer has a go at your property, in a sense. It's annoying mm. a bit to the writer because, you know, if you create a monster, it's brilliant. And it is brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. But Weeping Angel is one of the, as I said earlier, one of the best monsters Doctor Who has created. Yes. And you've got this monster. You're protective of this monster. But then someone else says, you know, oh, oh, I want to have a go at it. They do something that's better, perhaps. But I always find that if when another writer has a go, it opens, has a different perspective as to what it could be. While that can, in some ways, have a negative impact, when it comes to things like, and it's proven with the monsters in Chibnall's era, Let Ch- when Chibnall had a go at the Daleks, they were brilliant. Mm. He basically just returned them to how they were. But the Weeping Angels, giving them to the other writer and himself to do this story was, you know, ask, you know, I haven't got permission. They managed to add a whole new level of fear and mystery and also uh, a backstory to them, which I don't think Moffat would have considered doing. Moffat's uh, idea was the best one he had for, I imagine he thought was, not not knocking him, was, well, what if they just, you kept sending people back in time again and again and again and just kept feeding off their paradox, yeah. paradox energy or something like that, which is fine. It's like how big finish work. They take ideas that either did or didn't work before and elevate them. They see the potential that it could have had in another way. And it seems to me that Chibnall, although he's not been my favourite writer for most things, the stuff he's done with the monsters has been superb. Mm. I'll give you that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll tell you what I found really creepy was the sketch of the weeping angel coming to life. Because we know what holds the image of an angel becomes an angel, but I'd never thought that like pen and paper could have that effect as well. And when it's on fire as well, that was just, oh no, I made it worse. What if you do a really shit drawing? <laughs> like, and it comes, but I wouldn't get, I'd, I'd like to think it doesn't come through as a really good draw, you know, the, as an original angel. I would expect it to look like the atrocity I've just scribbled. What you'd have to do as well is put a speech bubble where it says, I don't have any of my powers. <laughs> or a stick person version well actually that could be quite frightening you get attacked by a stick person <laughs> version of a weeping angel i will say as one negative from this episode mm-hmm. they still just need to work on the dialogue a little bit much better than it has been before i mean there's one lesson in when writing stand-up is cut out the bubble like, if you can yeah, get yeah. to the punchline, the funny bits quicker, get to it. And I do feel like in that scene where she was explaining the angels, to, and this is, again, why I feel like sometimes it's good to have the explainy bits in there, because I suppose it, that does cater for people who've come in. You know, when we saw Joe Martin's Doctor last week, there was a little bit of a kind of reminder in the dialogue that, oh, you're this person, and I'm you, and you're me, and whatever. Yeah. The bit when she was explaining the angels to the professor i feel like that could have just been cut down a little bit and the same as when she was talking to the angel you know it's a really good realization as well that they were coming for her not coming for the doctor but i do feel that the way she sort of said hang on a minute those angels they're not coming here to attack us they're here to come and apprehend you or something it was something quite long-winded i just thought no all you'd say there is wait they're not attacking they're coming for you like just cut it down a little bit you can just shave a few bits off dialogue here i found that with the with the bell storyline i find that quite weak writing yes that as well it's very much i need to explain to you who this person is why i'm here and what i'm doing it's like just tell us i mean the best example is when you saw rose in turn left she hardly says anything but you get what's going on do you remember yeah yeah. i feel like if chris chibnall had written that she'd have to go hello i'm an ex-companion of the doctor 
and this happened and this happened and this happened but then this happened and now i'm here and now i'm looking for him but all she used to say was things like i'm looking for a man and that was it and we knew what it meant we kind of knew just let it be mysterious we know everything about that character i just think pull it pull it back a little bit the one thing was at the end of last week she said i love you me annual yet as <laughs> annual as yet unborn child who says oh, nobody talks like that that was the, that's the bit I'm talking about. It's it's crap right yeah. that and also we've had a next time trailer which fucking pointed that out. Mm. You know, you don't need this bit again. You know, all you need to say is we love you and she yeah. just holds her stomach. That's it. Yeah, do you know I was just about to say that. I love you. We both do. Hold the stomach. You would have got that. Not actual yet unborn child. There's a lot of line repeating in Chibnall's era. And yeah. I think it's to give another character a line. Like in Spyfall, the doctor says, It's a pictograph. It's a picture in a picture. And then Ryan goes, So it's a picture in a picture. Oh, don't you start on Ryan. <laughs> when they're on the beach and the angels explaining that it went into Claire's mind, the doctor goes, Oh, so you went into a human mind to hide? It's like, well, the angel just said that. Like, you don't need to repeat that line. It's not even just that. They repeat the same bit to another character. Yeah. Exactly later along the line. I know, of course, that would probably happen, but it's not always necessary. You know, like, the, for an audience member, because, oh, we fucking heard this. <laughs> but a third character who's explaining it, you know, the whole room is just in unison just saying, they're weeping angels, they are quantum locks. <laughs> you know? Mm. You know what I did love about this was the character of Gerald. He was such like an old 1960s man. Like when Yaz is like, so tell us stuff about your goddaughter. Where can we find her? I mean, what's she into? Well, she's a 10-year-old girl. What would she be into? And that's the, that would have been the attitude of the yeah, time. Yeah, very good, and, yeah. You know, because up until about the 70s, kids weren't seen as kids. They were still seen as just young adults. Mm. She was a bit dark when, she, when he died. He was never nice to me. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, that's a, bit, that's a bit dark. Didn't really feel anything for him. I felt for the wife, though. That was, yeah, that was harsh. That would, that would felt like she didn't deserve that. She just married the absolute arsehole. But Yaz again, more police stuff. Mm. She was more of a police officer again. You're right. That bit where she just said, "Well, tell us a bit about it. If we find yeah. it, we want to try." That's something that the Yaz in the last two seasons wouldn't have done. She would have just cried or said, "I'm feeling emotional," to tell everyone that she was feeling emotional. <laughs> I feel attached to this child. Do you? Yes. Oh, all right then. You think like that, yes, because you're a good girl. That's right. I am a good girl. It would have been explained to us how she was really, just just uh, saying that showed genuine concern and yeah. the police mind, and that was that was really good. I liked I liked her and and Dan going off together and kind of exploring, and they worked really well together. Brilliantly, yeah, really nicely. For any Dan cosplayers out there that are looking for the torch that he holds. <laughs> It's called a bardic lamp. We used to use them on the railway when I worked on the railway. They use a really slimline version now. But when I worked on nights and I was by myself, I would carry that around because we used to have like crackheads and stuff that would kind of like jump out at us in the middle of the night. They're very handy to have on you. They're very hefty. You could have smashed the fuck out of a weeping angel with one of those. <laughs> yeah, so it's called bardic lamp if anybody's looking to get one. But yeah, I love Dan and Yaz's dynamic in this. You know what's weird? I keep seeing on Twitter that people think the Vinda is a hastily written last-minute replacement for Captain Jack. I don't even see how. They're completely... This one's got a character who isn't fucking annoying. Yeah. 
the timelines just don't work out for it because no. by the time you know when the Noel Clark allegations came to light, that was the end of April. Mm. The series had been filming for six months. So what this this show that's already delayed in production because of COVID is now going to go back and recast and reshoot six months worth of work. The timelines just don't work, and I think people got confused because John Barrowman was writing a tie-in book for episode two, just assuming that we would have just seen what Captain Jack was up to during the Santaran invasion. Maybe he would have turned up at some point. Maybe in the specials or something, but the timeline for him to be in flux just doesn't add up. Something I've found quite annoying is fans are just trying to find something in these new characters that they have to be someone from the past somehow. Some of them just spitballing, but then they start to gain traction. The people are like, really tweeting seriously? What if they are the Doctor's parents? Oh, Bell's now the master, apparently. Yeah, the Bell's now the master. Craig Parkinson's the master. Swarm is the master. Everyone's the fucking master. I just don't want to hear any more of it. It's crap. <laughs> I, I don't want the swarm to turn out to be. I don't want to find out what the doctor's parents' Wi-Fi password was. I just don't want to know any of this. <laughs> it reminds me, do you remember after series three when everyone was the Rani for about five years? That's it. The Rani. Everyone keeps saying the Rani. Just let it die. Let these characters be. This character is called Vinda. The other one's called Bell. That's it. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, five years ago, I said I would have said there was no chance of them being a pre-existing character. <laughs> you never know which Hypno. They cast a very good master in the last se- in the last season. They're not going to go and get someone no. else to play him now. Is he going to turn up in this? Fuck it, I hope not. He's in the specials. That make that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, because I feel like you need that for the closure of this of the run. But well, to quote, is it the Eighth Doctor? I sort of have to paraphrase it because I love humans. Always seeing patterns and things that aren't there. You know, and that's just Doctor Who Twitter at the moment. Yeah, exactly that. Do you know the, the one thing that uh, did uh, strike me on Twitter the other day was well, I think it struck everyone really and made people gag was NSFW image that some fan did. It looks like it should stay on DeviantArt art and never be tweeted. Oh, what's this? I've not seen this. Have you not seen it? No. You can Google it if you want. It's a very graphic image of Calvinista fucking Dan. <laughs> uh, it's all right. I don't want that on my search history. And yeah, and someone's found it. On, <laughs> someone found it on Twitter and shared it and, and, and shared it about. And then someone tagged. Both Craig Ells and <laughs> John no. Bishop. Oh, what a treat. What a treat for them. Yeah. And everyone else, at the moment I saw, I was like, the jokes going around at the time was, well, someone said, surely it should really be doggy style. Someone shared a, a gif of someone pouring bleach into their eyes, you know, and all these various different things said, oh, I wish I'd never saw that. And then naturally Muggins has a look. And then I, afterwards I was like, yeah, that, that image is going to be, that's going to really play up in future days to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm happy not to see that. Did you see that The Independent accidentally posted their review two days early? I think it, yeah, I think it went up on Friday. I, I've done this before accidentally. Like you, you go to schedule a post for another day and you accidentally hit publish now when you just don't realize. I've done that before with my reviews that have been embargoed. So I felt sorry for the person who wrote the review because uh-huh. it's, it is such an easy thing to do. But yeah, it gave full spoilers and talked about the cliffhanger and all that. But it's clearly meant to go out after the episode. So Doctor Who Twitter was really kicking off at that. Oh, that's a shame. It's uh, yeah, it's been a weird time in Doctor Who. A lot of the consensus is that they really enjoyed last night's episode, though they really did. I have to say, it's been nice to see mostly positive like feedback in regards to this series. Like I said to you guys in podcasts before, in episodes before, we've 
you know, I was prepared to write off the entire era. I don't own either of Series 11 or 12 on Blu-ray or DVD. I like to have a complete set, but I just can't warrant the price I'm going to have for basically something that's going to sit there. And I was very much of this era is not, is not for me. I think it's rubbish as hell. Anyone who's being optimistic about it is full. This series, of course, has turned that around. But there's a lot of people who've made up their mind as well, but are really clutching on to reasons to hate it mm. you know i don't mind if people generally just like oh that wasn't for me that's fine but there are people like it could be a very good very very good episode to come out you know and they'll sit there and go it's a bit too dark for me you know it's sort of really pathetic <laughs> so you know i couldn't hear it i didn't like her shoes it was too entertaining you know these are comments that are being shared by some of these people online and you know all right you allowed them other people i don't know why people are having a go at them really you know because to me, I just find that funny. It's just that they're not willing to admit that it, it's good. You know, mm. they can admit when they like something. I don't like Chris Chibnall's writing. I think I think he's a, there's a lot left to, be desi- left to be desired. But if he did write a good episode, I will accept that as a good episode. Okay, that's fair enough. Like I didn't, for a while, I wasn't quite keen on Jack Whitehall. But I saw Jungle Cruise and thought he was very good in it. He's really good in um, Fresh Meat as well. But there was stuff that was in between that, and his sort of stand-up stuff wasn't quite my taste. And he was like someone who was quite annoying, but he's now sort of grown on me. You might not like them, but if someone says something good, you're a bit of an idiot if you're just going to hold on to some form of hatred for it just because, oh, I don't like it. Out of principle, I'm not going to like it. It's a funny one, isn't it? I've really realised that everybody's opinion on the show is equally as important as it is unimportant. Do you know what I mean? Because we all love this program it's why we're doing a podcast about it and it's fun to get together and talk about it and i like to think that you know we have enough experience of the show to talk critically about what we like and what we don't like but at the end of the day we are just three blokes talking about it it equally matters as much as it doesn't matter do you know what i mean yeah yeah and i think people need to to sort of realize that when you've got a podcast of thousands of followers or you're just somebody sat at home your opinion's no different to anybody else's and uh, as much as nice as it is for people to kind of join in on your point of view for as many thousands of people you know that share your opinion on it there are thousands of other people who don't share your opinion on it yeah i think it's a bad thing when people turn around and say i'm not watching it anymore because you know you're entitled to you know there's lots of programs i've watched over the years and gone do you know what i'm not really feeling it anymore yeah okay so going back to the village of the angels oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah, that one any final thoughts guys well i like how from the next time trailer it leads around to the liverpool tunnels Mm. yes and kate stewart's in it yes unit are back aren't they yeah they are i just finished listening to the new unit range today actually it's really really good and it's got christopher naylor playing harry sullivan oh yes yeah brilliant i don't know how you get through all these i've got nothing going on sam fair play Fair play for getting getting through them. Yeah, it, it's really good. I I really recommend the unit range. They did one called Unit Assembled once, and it was like the old unit meeting the new unit, and it's fantastic. It's what I would do as a unit TV show if I could. But yeah, I'm really excited to see Unit. I know there was a bit of controversy when uh, Chibnall killed them off a few years ago, <laughs> and they've been disbanded for a Brexit joke. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing them again. Do you think this is going to be a Doctor Light episode? I don't know. I don't think so because this series threw Bell back into the mix, didn't it? Well, this episode, sorry, threw Blake Harrison's bit, which I wasn't expecting at all. Hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't expect him. What is it with them and underusing in between as guest stars? <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out when Simon Bird joins and... and uh... 
Well, Joe Thomas has done some big finish. He was in an Eighth Doctor audio. And Blake Harrison is in a trilogy of big finish audios where he plays the same character at different periods in his life. And he's really good in those. Yeah, he's a good actor. They all are actually good actors. I was going to say, actually, because they, they appeared in that mid credit scene. That was nice. I liked that. But did you guys notice the theme tune at the end? It was very somber, wasn't it? I saw somebody online say that the bass in that theme song is meant to be the Doctor's heartbeats. So because the Doctor's been taken out... That's the sort of shit I like. Any more of that stuff. It was a very good tone because it just... It was almost like, you know, when it had no sound at all at the end after Adric died. That sort of... Yeah. It leaves you sort of going, oh, God. I thought my TV had fucked up. It was also like very... Yeah, so did I. I thought the sound's gone weird. But then it also reminded me a little bit of the very, 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 very first series. You know, when the... Would really overtake the sound of the bass. Just because it was old, yeah. if you watch like an unearthly child at the end, you hear the the bass is a, a little bit quieter, and there's just that weird, like that almost like scratching noise in the background, mm. very creepy. So it was it was creepy that I liked it. Okay, so Sam, I noticed that you've got a gig coming up in a couple of weeks, so in Bristol. So why don't you tell people about? Actually, speaking of stand up, I've got a nice little Doctor Who stand up story for you if you'd like it. Oh yeah, go on. A friend of mine in the comedy world, I've gigged with him quite a few times, Matt Bragg. Excellent comic, by the way. It's going to be huge in a few years. He supported John Bishop on tour the other day. Oh, Oh, fantastic. And would you like to know the Doctor Who link that I'm sure not even Matt or John Bishop know? Yeah, go on. Matt Bragg's uncle is Geoffrey Hughes, who played the Valyard in disguise in The Trial of a Time Lord. Oh, what, the guy from Heartbeat? Yes, that's him. And Onslow in Keeping Up Appearances. Oh, great. It was in Coronation Street as well. And so therefore, technically, because the family is the Doctor, Jeffrey Hughes did play a version of the Doctor. So we had an ascendant of an actor who played the Doctor, technically, performing as uh, a support for a current companion. Mm. So there's a nice little fact for you. Mm. That is cool. I'm seeing John Bishop in January, actually. He's playing in Dorkin. Oh, that'd be good. He's a good comic, isn't he? Yeah, so Sam, what's this gig that you got coming up? Um... Not supporting John Bishop, <laughs> but I'm headlining Mother Chuffers. The 1st of December in Bristol, I am going to be headlining the Dirty Doves Comedy Club, which is in, as, as, as Martin said, that's in Bristol. And can I find the poster really quickly? Yes, I can. It's at the Star and Dove, which is on Luke Road, top down. Lovely part of Bristol. So yeah, they're on the first Wednesday of every month. Really good club. If you ever if you live in Bristol, go there if you want some really good stand up comedy. And I'm headlining there on the first of December. And if I can do another cheeky plug, I've got a few shows next year. You can come and see me do a proper show. Thirteenth uh, of January, I'm in Bristol again at the Boardrooms doing my work in progress show building towards my first solo show, which is going to be going out next year, the Bath Comedy Festival in February. And on February the 15th, you can see me at the Bath Comedy Festival, my show Sister Act. I'm doing with John Matthews, a brilliant comedian. If you don't like me, you'll love John. Really, really clever gag writing comedian. One of the best gag writers on the circuit, in my opinion. Absolutely fantastic. We'll be in Nottingham as well later in the year. And if all goes to plan, I'll be doing my full proper solo show world's oldest man that's called at the brighton comedy festival in may cool so there's some dates for you excellent chris won't tell people where they can listen to more than just an impression well the second episode with john colshaw is coming out uh, this friday the 
26th. It will be out just about midnight, just before. So you've got the whole day to, to deal with it. And it's available on, on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor FM, a number of various ones, actually. I didn't even realize we were on there. Podbean, apparently. Anchor just shares it everywhere. It's contagious. But anyway, yeah, they'll be out then. And also at the end of that episode and following the episode, I'll, there is the announcement of who the next and final guest of this season is. I'm excited to reveal that. I can't wait to hear these. Is there any more We Sound Familiar? Uh, there will be an end of the year show and then the year podcast yeah it's it's just been so difficult for everyone we've all been busy with various such as well parenting for myself pete l john have all been working well john obviously has been doing the war doctor stuff and other other gigs here and there like i was with l and pete as well so we've not actually had much time to really to do anything which is why our sort of podcast is sort of we're, we're sort of questioning what do we do with them so but we are looking at ways of either adapting what we do to some other format and but we are going to do one big end of the year so christmas new year halloween all compiled into one and that should be out at some point in december you know what you guys should do you should do tiktoks on we sound familiar people would then re-utilize those sounds to make their own doctor who sketches we've got a lot of sketch ideas that we we're happy to go with i suppose we also want to enjoy meeting up again you know we, we would like to if we met up properly you know film some bits together that'll be good fun as well we have the we still keep in touch we do have a group chat and that goes off every every now and then and it is uh <laughs> stuff i'm not going to repeat basically the stuff that you get on release is the most tamed down version of what we discussed <laughs> <laughs> excellent send me the uncut ones please and on that note good night thanks for listening everybody <laughs> <laughs>